Praise the Lord. Amen. Thank you, Josh, for the kind words. The word that I thought he would use was, was not passionate. I thought he would use competitive or delusional or another, another synonym for it. But um, Josh killed it last week, didn't he? Wasn't that good? Amen. I, I love Josh to death. I love his family. He has a hunger uh, and a burden for souls, has a burden for this church. Um, and I was thankful for that reminder that the sum, the sum are worth it. The sum are worth it. I, I value our friendship very much. I'm thankful for him, thankful for his family, for Johnny and Andy, wherever they are. We always go out and get, well, not so much anymore, but we go out and we get big pretzels a lot at Applebee's. And that, uh, it really is, especially before I got married, it's goofy, but I, I would look forward to Wednesday nights because Johnny would get so excited, and the way that he says it, it's like, will you get big pretzels with me? And he really emphasizes that I want you to do it with me. Um, so I do. I love their family very, very much. Um, and thankful for the, the love and the compassion that they've shown to me and to Kaylee, and opening the doors for Kaylee, um, and making that transition as smooth as possible. And I'll stop talking about Josh after this, I promise. Um, but on Sunday, we actually we went to to Logan's in Fort Wayne, and that actually, we were, we started talking, that was the first place, actually, um, that I had met Sarah, I met Josh at a youth service here before, um, and I met Andy for the first time, too, it was Andy's first time out of the house, um, but it was two years ago, and it was right after I came up here for a job interview, um, and had gotten the job, and it was, it was just so awesome, and you could tell from the get-go, um, by the people of the church, by uh, the love that they exemplified, what a what a great church this is, and I'm I'm so thankful to be a part of it. Uh, Pastor, I, I'm thankful for the opportunity. If you're watching, um, safe travels. I, I don't know how you were brave enough to go down there in the midst of a hurricane, um, even though it was inland. You're you're much braver than me. Uh, but Kaylee and I talked about it, and if we'd already paid for tickets to go to Disney World. Um, we probably would suck it up and make our way down there anyways. Um, but I'm very thankful for Pastor, thankful for Sister Hannah and what their family means to me. And during this month, we do a lot of things. We show our appreciation to Pastor and, and his family throughout this entire month of October uh, with it being Pastor Appreciation Month. But I often, me personally, I forget to just say thank you for, for all that they do, um, all that they do for this church, uh, for their vision. It doesn't go unnoticed. We love you so very much. Um, you're a power couple, a super couple. You do way, way more than what uh, I could do. I think more than what people even realize that they do. They're kind of like energizer bunnies, and they just go and go and go, and somehow they function off two hours of sleep consistently. Um, but more importantly, they're the perfect example uh, of Christ and Christ's love, and they show it to us in so many ways. So I am. I, I'm thankful for, thankful for them. Thankful for what they do for this church. I'm gonna get this eventually. There we go. Nope. I was really hoping I could get it one-handed. Um, but a couple weeks ago, Pastor uh, he reached out to me and he asked me to uh, to speak to you guys today. When I began praying for what uh, the Lord would have me to speak on today, I kept. Uh, feeling this pull towards a particular subject, and that subject was worship. And what does worship look like? True, genuine uh, worship, 
right? And uh, it's something we're all very familiar with, right? And at first, I was like, okay, how do I go about this without preaching, you know, the same message that everybody's heard a thousand times when uh, we talk about worship? Uh, and I couldn't really figure out how to approach it or in a, to figure out a way to relay it, and then I felt it needed to be presented. But the more I prayed and the more I studied, I actually began to think more and more uh, about the series that we have been diving into during our Connect classes with the youth um, on Wednesday nights. And I, I know this is a class uh, some of our adults have taken in the past, which how many are enjoying our Connection classes, right? Aren't they awesome? I told Kaylee a couple weeks ago, I was like, man, I would, I would so much rather, I, I value church, I value the service, but that's like my thing, like the close, that's the church right there, that's how the church began, in that close community with one another. Um, but the more I began to study, and I, I looked uh, at the class that we had started, we were starting this five love languages for teenagers, right? And it's been something that's been so, so engaging, uh, something that uh, even the adults in our class, Zuzi, Kaylee, and myself, I think we have learned from it um, and have taken things from it, and it's been something that's very, very enlightening. Um, but the more I began to study and the more I began to look uh, and ponder how I could present what I felt God was speaking to me today, the more I thought about the fact that love and worship are actually very, very similar when you break it down and you look at uh, the context of love and at the context of worship. And they're quite similar. And the way that we might show love to others, I think, aligns uh, with the multiple facets of worship, right? Worship is not just clapping your hands. It's not just, uh, you guys can sit down, by the way. I totally realize I, <laughs> you guys have been standing this whole time. My bad. I get going and I just, I don't pay attention. So I, I apologize. <laughs> Um, but worship, right, it's more than clapping our hands. It's more than stomping your feet. It's more than standing for sometimes longer than you should on a Sunday. Uh, but true and genuine worship, right, worship to our creator is something that is a daily choice in our lives. The exact same way that love and the love that we show towards others is a choice, right? It requires action. Love requires action. Worship requires action. It's a conscious decision, a conscious choice of offering our adoration to the king. And if you think this is a bit of a stretch, just stick with me for a little bit. I'm, you guys know I'm not super long-winded. I told Kaylee uh, this morning, she asked how long I was going to preach, and I said, well, I, I don't preach very long. And she told me that last time I actually did kind of preach a little bit long. So, uh, But for a few short moments today, uh, I want to look at uh, this subject, and that subject is made to worship. Made to worship. And it's funny, uh, last night, I typically don't sleep a whole lot the night before that I speak uh, because of nerves, and I also, I, I kind of, I'll, I'll study throughout the week, and I'll, I'll put down my thoughts, I'll write them down, uh, but I don't, I, I type everything out word for word because I'm afraid I'm going to forget everything, and I'm going to stand up here looking stupid, trying to think of a word to say. Um, but last night, I, I, I couldn't sleep because I, I was nervous, and that's the norm. Uh, but Sister Tara, I don't know if she's, she's not in here right now, but the song Praise Is What I Do was stuck in my head, and I couldn't fall asleep, and it was so annoying in that moment because it's like three o'clock in the morning, and I want to fall asleep, and I'm like, why is this song stuck in my head? And when they started singing it, uh, I started laughing a little bit. So that being said, being on minim, minimal sleep, I used to tell uh, my students this whenever I taught world history. Um, if I get going too fast, just 
tell me to slow down or do something. Because all that I have, I don't drink coffee. I don't like coffee. So all I have in my system is a white monster energy drink. So I will sometimes I'll get going really, really quick. So Zach, if I'm just blabbering, just stick a hand up or something and like, hey man, just chill. All right. Um, but thinking of worship, right? Giving our adoration, giving our time to something that we love and care for dearly. Last night, something that I love and care for very deeply, um, I had to witness before my eyes my, my childhood uh, hero, my favorite player of all time, Albert Pujols, um, in the St. Louis Cardinals. I had to watch them lose uh, in the playoffs last night, and I almost, I almost changed everything and said, don't clap for that, come on. <laughs> I'm pouring out my heart up here, and you guys are clapping. Um, but I almost changed my entire sermon. I was like, let's go, let's go to the book of Lamentations. We're just going to lament all day. Um, but being a Cardinals fan, right, what does it mean to be a fan of something? Right? It's something that you adore. It's something that you watch. It's something that you, you pour out your heart and your soul and, and your finances and you buy countless jerseys and you go to games and you pay for uh, way overpriced hot dogs and you pour your resources into this thing that you care about so deeply, so very much. Right? Maybe it's a sports team. For me, it's the Cardinals or the Colts. Um, Growing up, for me, it was baseball, right? I would pour uh, my time, my resources, right? Everything that I had into this game, right? And according to Webster's Dictionary, the word worship is defined as showing honor or reverence to a divine or supernatural power. But it also defines it in saying uh, worship is to regard with great or extravagant respect, honor, or devotion, right? And last night, my devotion was tested, it was really bad. I don't think Kaylee had ever seen me um, in that state before. Um, but it's just baseball, right? Life goes on. But worship, whether it be with a team, whether it be a job, whatever it may be, worship is what we do. It is who we are. And it is a response to the things that we value. It is the time. It's the sacrifice and the effort that we put towards something that we care deeply about. And it can look different for a number of different people. For some, it is a relationship or it is relationships as a whole. For others, it's our dreams. It is our status. It is a name. Whatever it may be, there is something that whether we realize it or not, we worship that thing. Worship is shown to the things that matter most to us. It's not shown once a week. It's not shown in a 10-minute song session. Rather, it is shown in our day-to-day lives because what we worship encompasses everything that we say and everything that we do. And if you follow a trail of time, a trail of affection and energy, it will eventually lead you to what it is that you worship, to what you place at the highest priority in your life. How are we living our daily lives? How are we actively showing admiration to our God on a day-to-day basis? Is it a once a week Sunday morning routine where we come, we clap our hands maybe twice a week? Or is it something that attracts our time, something that attracts our affection and our energy day in and day out? As I was preparing, I was reading uh, a devotional 
by, by a speaker. His name's Louis uh, Giglio. And he, I was challenged by what he wrote in, in this devotional. He said, if a stranger was to look over your actions and over your words from over the last 24 hours, what would he or she conclude that you worship? Would it be a fantasy football team? For me, sometimes I, I thought back, whenever I read this, I was like, man, I spend way too much time looking at my fantasy football team, which is not good. Is it our job? Right? Is it our finances? What is it that we spend our time doing? And no matter what we say or do, right? We can say that we don't uh, worship these things, that these things aren't put up on a pedestal for us. Uh, but no matter what we say, our praise is offered up to something. And why do we crave to worship something? Right? We almost we crave it as much as we want to be adored. Right? Almost as much as we want that affirmation, we want to give that affirmation to others or to something. Right? Why do we crave to offer up that admiration? And the answer to this is simple. It's because we were made that way. Right? We were made to worship. Colossians chapter 1, verse 16, uh, looking in the NIV, it says, For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and created for him. The same way that we have this eternal longing to love, this eternal longing to be loved, there is an eternal longing to worship him. And the reason why some of us, we get so frustrated and why we come to church and we go through the motions week in and week out and we leave the church the exact same way that we came in is because throughout the rest of the week, we're not worshiping, right? The worship that is meant to go towards the Father, that is meant to go towards our King, it is going other places and we find that emptiness because it's not there. It's misguided, misdirected. When I was growing up, uh, there was this song uh, that they would always play on Caleb, and I, I hated it. It was really, really annoying. It sounded like a, uh, like a Disney, like teeny bop song to it, and it was called There's a God-Shaped Hole in All of Us, and it was so, so annoying. But the more that I look at this, it, it's true, right? There is a reason why we don't find that wholeness. We don't find that completeness without God, and it is because we were created not just to worship Him, but we were created for him specifically. In the first commandment, uh, it, it's very, very plain. It tells us not to have any idols, have no other gods before him. We look at that and we say, okay, well, well that's easy, right? There's no, uh, there's no statues of Buddha in my room. There's no uh, shrine or idols in my house, right? But that's in there for a reason. It wasn't just for the Israelites in that time. And it's number one for a reason. It's in there because we serve a jealous God who created us for him. And if we idolize and prioritize other things in our lives and we put these other things on a pedestal, then it becomes like a God to us and it encompasses everything that we say and do as it occupies our time and all of our effort. It's because our adoration isn't going to whom it was created for. We're not designed to operate on a seven-day cycle, but rather in a moment-to-moment form of worship, in a daily walk in which our actions reflect the one of whom we are serving. Worship doesn't begin with a group activity. It begins with our individual response day by day. 
And when we come together each week on Sunday morning and when we bring that focus, when we bring that praise and that worship we've had in our daily journey, we bring the same devotion that we have shown and that's when it becomes corporate in our worship. We don't go to church just to worship, but rather we go worshiping to church, right? Church is is just as much, if not more, for him as it is for us. And sometimes we get in the routine of what am I going to get out of this today? Right? And, and there's, there's a reason for that, right? There's a point where there's a reason why we have the word. There's a reason why we have preaching. But sometimes we just kind of fast forward through that 10 minute, 15 minute portion of the service where we're like, okay, we have to check off these three songs. And then if we sing those and then we're done, okay, then I can sit back and I can get what I want out of the service. I can be talked to. But the reality is church and whenever we gather here together, that moment before we get what we need, it is to offer up our praise to him. That is the most important part because without that, there is nothing. We talk about having revival in our church and and in our community, and that's good, but the only way that is going to happen is if there is revival and renewal in our own hearts and in our own minds. When we come together collectively expecting the same thing, when we come to church with an expectation The church is here to give us strength, and and I'm thankful for that, but the church is not here to be a shot of five-hour energy at the beginning of the week to get you through the rest of the week so you can come crawling back next Sunday and be like, man, I I hope I can just make it to Sunday, and I hope I can just do it uh, and make it through this next week. But it is a place where we come together and we offer up our praise and our admiration to the king together as a church. But how do we do this? How is this a day in and day out commitment. How do I worship just outside of the four walls of the church? And as I said before, I think worship and love, I think they're very, very closely related. How we portray and show both are very closely related. The five ways that we show love, right? Those of you that took our five love languages class for adults, teens, we're taking it right now. We know what it is. We show our love um, through our words, right? Through touch, through giving, through our service, and through our time. So we're going to look at those five things today, and we'll, we'll get through it very, very quickly. Uh, those five different modes, if you will, of worship, of true, true worship. And the first one is words, right? The words that we say, the words that we use. How many know words are important, right? What we say is important. When we lift up our voices to the King of Kings, great things happen, and it creates an atmosphere of praise, I think it's very strategic uh, when Jesus is talking. He's asked, how should we pray? Right? And we hear the prayer. He starts it off as, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. It starts with these words of admiration. It starts with these words of, God, you're awesome. God, you're mighty. You're worthy. I am nothing without you. And I think that is for a reason. Because when we lift up our voices to the King of kings, that is when we find our deliverance. An example of this can be found in Acts chapter 16. We find Paul and Silas is a pretty common uh, passage of scripture. We find Paul and Silas, they've been arrested um, for healing a woman um, from her ailment. She was tormented by, by a demon and they, they've been um, following her. Well, she, rather, she was following them around. And if you don't know the story, essentially, Paul just gets fed up and he just turns around and he says, shut up, devil, just get out. 
right? But they get thrown into jail, and we pick it up in verse 23. It says, after they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and at once all the prison doors flew open, and everyone's chains came loose. And like I said, this is a pretty common passage, right? It's one that, um, that we probably heard once or twice, and we find because of Paul and Silas's praise in the midst of their circumstance, in the midst of their trial, God delivers them from their current situation, right? And we know that uh, our praise and our worship, it does, it precedes our deliverance. But I believe that in this circumstance, that these two men, Paul and Silas, the circumstance that they find themselves in, they begin worshiping with no ulterior motive, right? I don't think that they have it in their mind that uh, if they begin to worship and they sing this certain song and they do this certain thing, or uh, if they hit that note just right, that the prison doors are just going to swing open and in that moment and they're going to be set free. Maybe they did, but I believe that they decided in this moment that no matter what they may be going through, no matter the circumstance that they might be facing, that I am going to lift up my praises to the one who has set me free, to the one who has been there for me from day one, through the good and through the bad. And in the first week of our connection class, we talked about words and how they can be used to uplift others and how they can be used to tear down others. In the book, it talked about the importance of using uplifting words, but it also pointed out something very, very important. Giving words of affirmation is not just flattery, right? It's not just buttering somebody up, right? It's not just buttering up God so we can get what we want. And when we give these words with an ulterior, ulterior motive behind it or to butter someone up, then that isn't love, rather it's manipulation. It's what can I give in order to get something out of it, right? And that's not worship. That's not love. It's not what can I do to get something in response. It's no, what can I do to serve you? What can I do to show you this love and this admiration that I have for you, right? In the same way, I think this is a perfect example of true worship here from Paul and Silas because this praise wasn't offered up in hopes of some kind of return, but in a sincere manner of thanksgiving to God, no matter what the outcome of the situation may be. I think the next day, if they still would have been in prison, I think they still would have been praising. I think a week from that day, if they were still in prison, they still would have been singing. They still would have been shouting. They still would have been lifting up their praise to God because I'm not worshiping to get something out of it. I'm worshiping the king for who he is. Our worship can't just be uh, our worship with our words can't just be when things are good or when we want to get something out of it, but lifting up our voice to God in spite of the situation that we might be facing because through it, he is still God. And in a church setting, this is simple, right? We're lifting up our praise. We come up, we sing, we, we say words, we thank God for all that he does. Um, so it is it's very, very simple. But as I said before, it goes beyond the four walls of the church. The way that I talk is a form of worship, Right, The way that I speak to others is a form of worship. The way that I speak of others is a form of worship. If I sing praises to God on Sunday and I tell him how great and how awesome he is, and then I go throughout the rest of the week on Monday and Saturday and I speak negatively about his children and about his church, 
That is not worship. Right? That is just flattery. That is, God, you're great. You're awesome. You're so good. Oh, I can't believe they did this. I can't stand this person. So-and-so sat in my seat on Sunday. How dare them? Right? That is not worship. At that point, we're just offering up flattery. The second one is touch. And this is a word uh, that is used often in the church, typically the other way around, though. We find ourselves, we uh, find ourselves at an altar and we try to find ourselves at the receiving end. We're asking for a touch of God, asking him to reach down and touch a situation and to fix everything and make it all better. So how do I worship God through touch? How do I reach him? How do I touch him? Right? In order to touch somebody, if I'm, if Zach is right here, can I touch him? Right here? No. No, why not? I'm too far away, right? If I want to actually be able to touch Zach, if I want to be able to shake his hand and say, hey man, how you doing? There has to be proximity, right? There has to be a closeness. There has to be a connection. And the way that we worship with our touch, touch is only possible when we are in proximity. Only possible whenever we are close to the Father. And how do we do that? It takes a time of daily devotion, right? It takes a daily time of prayer. It takes me going out of my way to spend my time. How I would rather, how I would rather spend my time doesn't matter, right? It might be inconvenient. It might take um, some reprioritizing. But if we want to be able to reach out and touch him and be with him, to be touched by him, it's going to take action on our part. I won't go super into it, but when we talk about the story of the prodigal son, right, whenever um, the deliverance came for the prodigal son, what was it? It was whenever he turned and he made his way towards his father, right? If we want that form of worship, there has to be a proximity. The third form is in our giving. In Mark chapter 12, verse 41, uh, once again, looking in the NIV, says, Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. Calling his disciples, Jesus, uh, Jesus said, truly, I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she out of her poverty, put in everything, all that she had to live on. So this simple act of giving, this simple act of giving an offering in the temple, it caught the attention of Jesus. And the reason it caught the attention of Jesus, it wasn't uh, about how much she gave, but rather how much it cost her to give. That moved Jesus to say, she gave more than anyone else. And giving is just as much of a form of worship as any. I would say it is, it is one of the biggest ones because it is a sacrifice. That's what worship is. That's what love is. It is a sacrifice of myself. What I would rather do, what I would normally do, I am sacrificing it up to you. All right? It is more than tithes. It's more than just giving a chunk of my paycheck. It is saying that what I have been blessed with, it never belonged to me in the first place. Right? The whole reason I have it is because... Of you. And sure, giving sacrificially, it's inconvenient. Right? It's hard, especially, you know, you could make the, you could make the excuse you have inflation, you know, gas prices are expensive. It's very hard to give sacrificially. Right? But that's why our God loves it so much. 
because it's, it's difficult. It goes beyond what we would normally do, not because of the money. God, God doesn't need that dollar bill, right? He, he doesn't care about that. What he cares about is, and what he needs is your willingness to give up what we cling so tightly to. And the young people, they hear me say it uh, each year and it gets on their nerves. Uh, I say something goofy, you know, if we have this many people raise this amount of money for move the mission, then I'll shave my head or I'll grow a mustache. Um, and it's, I do it because it's funny and I think that my agony might motivate them. Uh, but, but I do it for a reason, right? We talk about it for a reason. It's not so we can post and say, oh, look at what we did. Look at how many Real McCoys we had, right? That's not the reason that we do it, right? But we do it um, so that we can learn and that we can recognize that there is a beauty and there is power in this notion of giving of my resources. There is beauty in saying, I might have worked really, really hard for this. I might really need this. I earned this. I might deserve this, but I'm going to give it to you anyways. There's beauty in giving what I have. God, it might not be much, but it's me. It's my everything. It is my life. And giving, worshiping and our giving, it's more than just our finances. We find in Genesis 22, and I am getting close to being done, I promise. I'm already going longer than what I thought I would. Uh, but in Genesis 22, we find a man who is willing to give up everything, willing to give up the thing that he loved most in this entire world for God. And in Genesis 22, verse 2, it says, Then God said, Take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain, I will show you. Early the next morning, Abraham, he got up. And one thing that I, I, I always notice uh, between verse 2 and 3, there's no argument at all. It goes straight from God tells him, go sacrifice your son. Verse 3, early the next morning, Abraham got up and he went to go do it. Right now, there might have been a struggle. I would like to think that my dad would have been like, well, God, are, are you sure? Like, is this... Is this really what you want? This is my only kid here. Like, this is kind of a, kind of a big deal. But no, the very next verse, early the next morning, Abraham got up. He loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son, Isaac. And when he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. And on the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. And in verse 6 and 7, we find they make their way uh, up the mountain. They bring the wood for the burnt offering. Isaac gets a little nervous, right? And he starts asking his dad, like, hey, man, where's, where's this lamb? You're either crazy or I'm going to die. There's, you need to give me some answers here. Um, and Abraham, he answers. He said, God's going to provide the lamb for the burnt offering. And the two of them, they go up. And they reach the place God had told him about. Abraham builds an altar. They arrange the wood on it, and he binds his son Isaac. He lays him on the altar. And then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. Here I am, he replies. Do not lay a hand on the boy. He said, do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your one and only son. Abraham was willing to give up what was most precious to him in the entire world. He was willing to give up an answered prayer from God. 
If you look back earlier in this story, Abraham is praying, he's asking, he's begging God, he's been promised that he's going to have all these children, his descendants are going to outnumber the grains of sand on, on, the, uh, on the beaches, and he is willing to give up an answered prayer in order to show his reverence to God, to show that even what is most important to me, it's not more important than my God. Sacrifice is the highest form of worship that we can give. Our musicians, they can come, um, and you can go ahead and stand. I'm, I'm closing this thing out, I promise. Combining four and five, combining these uh, modes of worship, four and five, our service and our time. The hardest thing to sacrifice is ourselves. It is our time, our service. It's difficult because our time is something that we'll never get back. Our time is fleeting. Our service is putting the needs of others before our own wants and even our own needs, the thing that we need in order to live. It's forgetting about convenience, forgetting about our dreams, our goals, our desire, the perfect plan that we have laid out for our own life. It is saying, this doesn't matter your plan does. And I think the perfect example of this is shown in the life of Jesus and his humanity. Luke chapter 22, verse 41 through 43, it says, he withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them. All right, he finds himself in the garden of Gethsemane just a short time before he's going to be arrested and crucified. And he kneels down and he prays and he says, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Don't make me do this. In his humanity, he doesn't want to die. We don't want to die, right? That's that's something we don't want, a painful death. So he says, please, if there is anything that can be done, if there's any other way, let me keep my life. Let me keep what I want. But in his humanity, he recognizes, and this this is what is so powerful. He says, not my will, but yours be done. Jesus, in his humanity, he asked for another way. He asked that that there can be a way that this cup can pass from him. In, In his flesh, he doesn't want to die. He knows the pain. He knows the suffering that lies before him. But he utters those words, not what I want, but what you want. In an act of total surrender, not what I want to do, not what is most convenient for me, but your will be done, God. I heard it preached one time that the most dangerous prayer that you can ever pray is God, use me. Not my will, God, but what you want for me. And the reason why is because from the day that you ask him to do it, he's going to try to do it. But you know who gets in the way of it? Me. My own wants, my own desires, my own passions what I want to do with my life. And the more that we try to control and retain what we want for our own life, the more frustrated and empty we begin to feel. Because God has answered that prayer, but I'm standing in the way. I'm not ready to give up the reins. And I'll close with this as you can begin to come to the altars. If you don't hear or remember anything else, that I say today. I pray that you hear this. This God that we worship, 
right? This king that we offer up our adoration to, he's different. He's unlike any other. He's not like any other thing in this world. In Acts chapter 17, I don't have the, I don't have the verse, but in Acts chapter 17, Paul finds himself in Greece and he mentions the many different gods that the Greeks worship. Right? All of these different guys. You have the God of the sun, God of the ocean, God of thunder, all of that good stuff. And one in particular sticks out to him. And it says, to an unknown God. An unknown God. And the Greeks, you see, they're polytheistic. If you study Greek mythology, you'll find many different gods with many different things. But this unknown God... It's exactly what it sounds like. It's we don't know if he or she is there. We don't know if we might have missed something. So we're just going to throw this out there and kind of cover all of our bases. right? We don't know who it is. We don't know what they do. But we're going to worship them anyways. We worship a God who made it as simple as possible. Throughout the Old Testament we read, he tells us time and time again who he is. I am Yahweh. I am the I am. Right, He tells us, but he doesn't just stop there. He makes it, once again, as simple as possible. Our God came to us. In order to worship him, he wanted us to know him. And in order for us to know him better, he came in the simplest way we could understand. And that was as ourselves. He came as one of us. He was tempted as one of us. He died as one of us. He gave himself as a living sacrifice in the greatest statement of love possible so that we might live and so that we might love him.